0: change, wasn't it? From that song to, uh, I just want to hang on that song just for a couple moments before we start the message for today. It's your breath in our lungs. We just sang it's your breath in our lungs. Why would we sing that? What are we acknowledging there? Um, Genesis chapter 2 This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. God spoke everything into existence and it says that he, that there was no man to work the ground but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And verse seven of chapter two says, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Unlike any other created thing, we have the very breath of God in us. Isn't that amazing? You know, we're talking about kids and parenting today and i've heard parents say i brought you into this world and i can take you out before and sometimes i think we can we can get the the picture that we give them breath but we don't do we god does god does there was a nun who worked for a local home health care agency and she was out making her rounds one day and she ran out of gas she wasn't too far away from the filling station, so, so she walked down the street, and she walked into the station to borrow a can of gas, and the station attendant said, ma'am, I'm, I'm sorry, I just loaned out the last can. Um, I can't help you. And she was kind of in a hurry, so she, she said, uh, no, I, I won't wait. She walked back to her car, and she scrounged around in her car to try and find something that she could, she could carry gas back to her car with, and since she was on her help, home health visit rounds, she had a bedpan in the car and she thought hey that'll work so she carries this bedpan back to the gas station and she fills it up with gas um, because she's resourceful she carries it back to her car and as she's pouring the gas into the tank of her car two men walked by and one of them turned to the other and he said now that's what I call faith (laughs) now I saw that this week, and I thought, man, I've got to figure out how to work that in. Here's how I work that in. Sometimes we see things incorrectly, and we can base assumptions on things that we see incorrectly, and sometimes a lot of people see things incorrectly, and those things build, gather steam. And that's what we've been talking about in this series um, titled Five Dumb Things Some Christians Believe, based on a book um, by Larry Osborne, titled Ten Dumb Things Smart Christians Believe. And we've seen as we've gone through this how there, are these, there can be these spiritual urban legend, legends that we hold on to just because they've been passed from one person to the next, and we've never really stopped to think about what does the Bible say about this thing. You know, we've talked about, and, and, and maybe some of you have disagreed all throughout this series, and I hope that if you have, you've been searching diligently in the scriptures to, to, to find out why you disagree. I haven't been getting any emails or phone calls that, you know, hey, we need to have coffee. That's the, that's the big one usually. Hey, pastor, we need to have coffee. Nope, Right. Um, We've talked about the myth that everything happens for a reason and how destructive that can be in the lives of other people when we say things like that to them in really difficult situations. We've, we've looked at the myth that... Um, forgiving means forgetting. That That's just not even possible. And what does the Bible say to that? And how does that apply us when we have something against someone else? What, what do we do there? And, and we've talked about the myth that God has a blueprint for our life, every little detail. And that, that there are things, uh, when it comes to the will of God, that we can absolutely know from Scripture. And we start there. We start living our life that way. And, and God then adds other things as we go through life. And then last week, what was last week? I... Really? No one remembers? Combine. Combines! Wow. <laughs> oh. I, I did talk about that a little bit. Last week was the will of God. What am I missing? The myth that what? Because there were five. Or is today five? Oh, right. Um, the fifth one is the myth that a godly home guarantees godly kids. Or, another way to put it, and the title's different on your sermon notes as it is on the bulletin, I guess, godly parents guarantees godly children. And we're going to talk about why that myth can be so destructive. Now, I want to tell you two stories, and their names have been changed. Um, We don't know who these people are. First, I want to tell you about Don and Sharon. In fact, Don and Sharon hate it when their Christian friends start pulling out pictures and swapping stories about their kids, um, because they never know how to respond or what to say. Um, Though one of their sons is doing well, he's a model citizen with a great job, a strong marriage, and a vibrant walk with God, the other two are a mess. One is in jail, the other is pushing 40 but still hasn't found himself. He's He's on job 15 and marriage three, and then even more disheartening, he's develop, developed a disdain for, for spiritual things and a dependence on alcohol. He, he doesn't want to have anything to do with spiritual things. He, they don't stay in touch with their parents unless, of course, they need something, usually money. And, and these two prodigals that, that Dan and Sharon have uh, have brought an abundance of heartache. In, in fact, it completely overshadows the joy and the pride that their good son brings them. And it's caused them to battle all kinds of emotions, anger, frustration, embarrassment, and shame. But most of all, they've felt guilt, lots of guilt, because they view their two wayward sons as irrefutable proof that they screwed up as parents, that there was something that they didn't do, that they should have done, that would have saved their kids and themselves from all of this heartache. In contrast, there's Mike and Rhonda who feel no guilt about their wild child. In fact, they are actually quite upbeat and confident that she will one day return to God and the values that she was raised to live by. Their confidence stems from the fact that they modeled a sincere and genuine faith. They took her to church, Sunday school each week. They gave her a solid faith-based education. And even during her teenage years, they continued to provide provide strong but not stifling spiritual guidance to make sure she hung around the right friends, activities, and peer group. In short, they did everything they could to provide a godly Christ-centered upbringing. And now, years later, not... Much has changed for her. She's moved in with her boyfriend. She has nothing to do with faith. She uh, won't darken the door of a church. Yet Mike and Rhonda feel none of the angst or shame that Don and Sharon feel. Sure, they're, they're disappointed, but they know that sooner or later their daughter will somehow come to her senses and, and make her way back to God. They're banking on God's promise that that children raised the right way in a good and godly home can't stay away forever. They can't help it. God brings them back. He promised, they said. And the question that I pose for us this morning is, did he promise? Does God promise? And and generally, this question crazy view, the, the crazy thing is that both of these views come from the same Bible passage, from the same one, both ends of the spectrum. Um, they're based on the same belief that a good and godly home guarantees godly children. And and it really is unfair that both these families feel this way because both of their views are incorrectly based on a belief that is widely misunderstood, and it comes from a verse in the Bible. If you would turn there with me today and just keep your hands in this chapter and this area, Proverbs 22. Turn to Proverbs 22, verse 6, if you haven't already. Proverbs 22, 6, and this is what it says. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not return from it. He will not turn from it. And many people, maybe even you, as you have, have lived your life as a parent, thought that that verse right there promises. Promises that a child, if raised correctly, We'll come back to the Lord eventually. But that's not what it promises, and that's not even what it says. So we're going we're to look at this. First of all, I want to mention this. That, that, that the book of Proverbs is not a book of promises. It's a book of Proverbs. And we need to get that clear. You see, promises are absolute, God says, when God says he's going to do this, he does it. You can bank on it. When God told Abraham that, he was, that, that his descendants were going to be as many as the sands of the stars of the sky or the sands, Abraham could take that to the bank. That was a promise. God promised that. God told Abraham, you and your wife are going to have a son. He promised that. And what happened? They, were grand- they could have been grandparents, but they were parents. Right? God completely fulfilled that. But Proverbs are different. Proverbs are an observation about how life generally works. What usually happens, not what always happens. Okay, the book of Proverbs contains God-breathed observations about life. Because you see, in your experience and mine, the righteous aren't always honored, are they? But there's a proverb about that. The wicked sometimes succeed. Uh, the diligent can lose it all and the lazy can strike it rich. It happens. The same is true for this proverb see, Don and Sharon's guilt is unwarranted. Their, their boys' wanderings are not proof that they failed as parents or that they were living some kind of secret life of wickedness. But have you ever felt that way? If you have wayward children or you have children who don't know Jesus Christ yet, have you felt like that? That somehow you failed as a parent? Now, Don and Sharon may have been terrible parents. I don't know. They may have been great parents. But here's the thing. The choices and lifestyles of their adult children are still, are their adult children's responsibility, not theirs. Not theirs. Look at the beginning of of our verse today. Train a child in the way that he should go. Now, that's the old New International Version. The New New International Translation says it this way. Start children off on the way they should go, is how it's translated. Start children off the way that they should go. Now, scholars disagree widely over what this first part of this verse means. And they, they distill themselves down to one of two things. Is it talking about training that is in line with the kid's personality and talents and, 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 and characteristics? Humanly speaking, um, is it talking about, uh, is it talking about um, teaching them, uh, training them in righteousness, in, in, in spiritual, in the spiritual arena? And, and of course, both are important. And honestly, I think you could read it either way, because, because there are, there's biblical support for both of those things. Um, we should teach and train our children in righteousness, Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to look at that at the, at the end of the, of the message. Teaching them what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Teaching, leading our kids in, in the way of Jesus. Uh, making sure that they know what it means to trust Christ. And, and to live, him, live for him and to serve him. To live according to his commands. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. and do it in a way that takes their gifts and personality into account. I mean, they're all different, right? If you have two kids, you can't parent them the same. And you add a third or a fourth or a fifth, and it just seems like it just gets crazy, right? Because they're all different, and they don't come with this instruction manual that says, this is what this kid responds to in the best way, and this is what this kid will, and this... We just get to figure that out. It's the adventure of parenting. (laughs) <laughs> it's a great adventure. It's a great adventure. Uh, wh- but where this verse gets twisted, however, is in the last part. Look, look at the last part. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. How does this guarantee, in, in talking about um, Rhonda and her husband, how does this verse guarantee that that child will come back to the Lord if they become rebellious? It doesn't say that, does it? It says they will not depart. It says they will not depart. They will never turn away in the first place. And remember, it's not a guarantee or a promise. It's saying that they are unlikely to. In reality, some kids are going to rebel. Maybe you're thinking, but Pastor Dave, what about the parable of the prodigal son? Or, or maybe some other passage in Scripture you're thinking about. It doesn't promise, in, in that uh, illustration that Jesus uses, it doesn't promise that every prodigal will return. This prodigal did. What it promises is that, how, is that the love of God is greater than any rebellion. That, that, that God always welcomes back the prodigal with open arms. But with the myth that a godly home guarantees godly kids, we set ourselves up for two things. First of all, we set ourselves up for unwarranted guilt. And maybe that one already appeared up there. But um, number one, which I didn't give you blanks. Number one, you'll just have to write it in in that big, wide, open space. You can write lots of things in there today. Unwarranted guilt. Parents, and maybe you're here, maybe this is you, can feel guilty when their grown children make rebellious decisions. Um, think about the parents of the boys that went into Columbine. I wonder how they felt. Do you think they felt guilt? Now, I I, I don't know. Maybe they weren't good parents. Um, But did they put those guns in those boys' hands? No. A young man gets behind the, the wheel drunk and has people in the car with him and he wrecks and he kills somebody. What goes through your mind? Sure, absolutely. What a dumb decision. But, did, but, but then do you migrate your way to, I wonder how he was brought up. Do we question or judge in some way the parents of kids that make really dumb decisions? Uh, should his parents feel guilty? I mean, if only they had been parents, better parents, right? They, they could be thinking that this morning. I mean, have you ever thought that? Now, um, that's talking about older kids. In, in younger kids, it, it could be that, that kids are struggling with a special needs issue. Have, have you ever thought, um, man, those people need to get control of their child. They must be terrible parents. Um, like the father that was pushing his cart through the grocery store, the cart was almost full and he had a very unruly child in the cart with him. And he was saying over and over and over to, to himself, Danny, it's going to be all right. Danny, calm. Danny, we're, we're almost finished. Danny, only a couple of more things. And a lady observed this and she walked up to the guy and she said, sir, you should be um, commended for your patience with your son, Danny. And the father said, Danny, my son's name is Ryan. I'm Danny. right? (laughs) I mean, have you ever seen this in a store? We have no idea what's going on in that that family, in that household. None. But I'm telling you, I can jump to that. When I was in college, man, I was more critical of the way my brothers were raising their kids than anyone. I didn't tell them this, of course. But I thought, oh man, those kids are just spoiled brats. And some of them were. But then I would immediately migrate to if they were just being raised differently. Like I had all the answers, right? A 19-year-old college kid, not married, no kids, but I know, I know. Probably got very few spankings myself growing up. Um, out, of, out of control children, judgment on the parents. We may initially say, What a brat. You know, maybe, maybe it's a child that struggles with ADHD or Asperger's or Tourette's or, or this child is strong willed. I mean, any children like that can make any home look like it needs a visit from child protective services at times. Misunderstanding of this verse can be so destructive. Um, it can cause all kinds of guilt. There's another culprit in this section, um, and it's a debate that has gone on for years. Is a child born inherently good? And then some and then some learn to be bad, or is a child born inherently bad? Years and years ago, and, and maybe if you studied at the university level or some um, psychology in, in high school maybe, um, the name B.F. Skinner might sound familiar to you. And B.F. Skinner, this psychologist, wrote many textbooks, said that when a child is born, they are a blank slate. The whole total nurture ball of wax. Everything that this child becomes and is is how they're raised. What sort of pressure does that put on a parent? I think unwarranted, and it can cause parents to feel guilty. The answer actually is found in Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen. 15. Mean, if you just look at verse 15 right there, it says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. There it is. Children are depraved. Every one of them. All of them. And we were children too. Right? And that's not just theologically true. We can see it in experience. Um... Pastor John Smith explains it this way. He says this. Some kids, when they're born, they come out with a smile on their face, an olive branch in their mouth, and, they, and when the parents say jump, they say, how high and where would you like me to jump? And then he said, and when some kids come out, they have a scowl on their face, a cigarette in their mouth, and they say, I'm going to make it hard on you every day. You see, every kid has a different personality. They have different characteristics. They've been given different gifts. They've been given different talents. And there's an enemy in this world who wants to twist those towards destruction. There's a battle for their soul as there is for yours and mine. Some kids are easier to parent than others. Some of you have one of each. But all of us have a sinful nature. Uh, Romans fifteen or Romans five twelve makes this very clear. Therefore, Paul says, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to who? All people. All people, because all sinned. We are born. This sinful nature isn't something that's eliminated automatically by a godly home. It just isn't. In fact, Jesus is the only one that can do that, right? So we set ourselves up for unwarranted guilt if we hold on to that as a promise. The second thing we can set ourselves up for is this, foolish pride. Foolish pride. Maybe you know parents like this. Where... um, They believe that a godly home guarantees, and they show their kids as illustrations of this. See? And their confidence is is more than trusting in the sovereignty of God. It's in themselves and their skills as parents. Look what a great job of parenting we did. Wow. Our kids turned out great. See, Mike, where, where, where did Mike and Rhonda's confidence come from? Uh, it was more than just trusting the sovereignty of God. And, and I hope that they were praying for their unbelieving child. That, and they were praying faithfully. And, and they, I know there are some in this room, very room, who are praying daily. And you, you wrestle with God over your children who don't know Christ. And you're, and you're standing in the gap, and I commend you for that for your faithfulness daily, and I encourage you to continue to pray for their salvation. No, I think that, that, that Mike and Rhonda put their trust in a promise that doesn't exist. And, and many of you here today and listening online and watching online, you, you, your kids have turned out great. You have great kids, and we can sometimes, unfortunately, take credit for that ourselves. Who does the transforming of you? Who does the transforming of our kids? God does. God does. There's a Christian author by the name of Charles Shedd and and Pastor John Smith gave this illustration and I couldn't find it. So I think he's conflating two different people but John Shedd, or Charles Shedd actually did write books about parenting, so he is a real guy. But, but this, is, this is how the illustration goes. Um, John Shedd, a Christian author, used to travel around the country doing seminars. And when he first started, his seminars were called Ten Commandments of Raising a Perfect Child. Then he had a child. And he changed the title of his talk to Ten Guidelines for Raising Good Kids. Then he had another one. And he changed it to five principles for raising kids. And then he had a third. Three suggestions for surviving parenthood. (laughs) His talk changed. Parenting is tough. It's hard work. It is. And it is so easy to criticize parents, isn't it? It's easy to give advice. So don't get me wrong now. What, what I'm not saying is that you don't need to work hard as a parent. I'm not saying that. that you just throw caution to the wind. You just spin your kids out there and hope they turn out all right. Or that, it doesn't, that, that parenting doesn't matter. That is not what I'm saying today. We need to work hard as parents because how we parent is very important. The verse says that. It says that we are to train them up. That that we are to do that work. Because how we parent is important. We need to give them, we need to give our children what they need most. Here's five things that our kids need. Did I just hear a swift kick? Wow. I'm gonna talk about that in a second. Let's see, I need to make a note of that so I don't forget. It just got fifteen minutes longer. No, just kidding. Five things. And and I mean, I think you'll see how how these are very true. The first thing that we need to give our kids, and it's the most important, I believe is our relation our your relationship with Jesus Christ as a parent. That's number 1. Because I think most things as parents as we're raising our children are caught, not necessarily taught. I have lots of examples of this. I remember one time I was working and you've some of you haven't heard this story before, but some of you have. We lived in a rental over in Torrington, and Zach couldn't have been more than three or four years old. And I was out in the garage, and I was hammering on things, and, and uh, I hit my thumb with the hammer. Of course, he had a hammer in his hand, and he was playing. So he hits his thumb with the hammer and says the exact same thing that I did. Now, it wasn't anything bad. I don't, ha- I don't struggle with bad language or anything, But it was just like one of those aha moments. It's like, whoa. I mean, I sort of knew that kids watched their parents, but this was one of those moments where it was like, wow. A lot of the things that I think are true in my life, habits that I have, commitments that I've made, were not necessarily My dad didn't sit me down and say, okay, son, this, 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 and this. I mean, I've told you before, my dad gave me one piece of advice when I went to college. It was don't stop going to church even once. That was the only piece of advice he gave me when I left the house. He either didn't know me very well or he trusted me a lot. I I don't know which, but... You know, a lot of the habits that I even have today were caught from my dad. They were caught. And one it's no guarantee, it's no guarantee, but one of the greatest gifts that we can give our children is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, love. Love. Um, Proverbs twenty three, twenty five, you can look at it right there if you still have your hand. Just go forward one chapter. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. Kids need massive amounts of love. They should be prized. They should be cherished. We should take the time. I read an article yesterday in Christianity Today, and it was talking about how we live in a distraction culture. And it was actually pinpointing specifically social media. And, and we need to be cautious as parents in what we prioritize um, as we're raising our children, what are we spending our time doing? Because you only have them for 17 or 18 years. Now, to, to some, that may seem a lot. To some, you know, like Caleb's like, I'm 30, I'm old. Yeah, whatever. And, and I'm going to give you the same advice as somebody gave me last week. You better not shut your eyes this afternoon. Putting your wife on the stage. Um Our kids need love. And that love comes in many forms. Time, attention, words, physical touch and hugs. There's so many ways that love manifests itself. I, I but I think I think one of the biggest things that kids don't get in our culture today because of all the distractions is Attentiveness. Even my adult children, I can. We can find ourselves. Have have you ever? Have you ever gone to or gone over to somebody's house to watch a movie, and and you're with another family, and they're all sitting in the room, and they're the TV's on and the movie's playing, but everybody has their phone on and they're all doing something different. Have you ever? I've seen that in my own household. Um, We we just we need to be sure that we're we're aware of that. Number three, appropriate limits. This is where not necessarily a swift kick comes in. Um, Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your children for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Wow. I mean, we have to correct our kids. We cannot... Your job as a parent is not to be your kid's best friend. Not until they... Are married, and even then, maybe not. <laughs> I I love my mother-in-law. Um, early on in our marriage, my wife, I, I would she would have something, some something that she, I was doing wrong, or something that you know I needed to fix, or whatever, and she would be grumpy about it. So she would call her mother, complain, and. I remember saying one time, I asked her, so did you talk to your mom about that? No. She'd probably just take your side anyway. (laughs) Um, There needs to be appropriate limits. We, We can't be our kid's best friend. I mean, one day it happens. And I really kind of feel like we're entering into that with our children. But if we don't set appropriate limits... And, and boundaries for our kids—we're setting them up for failure. Life's going to be a lot harder for them if we don't start that in the home. If they if they always get their own way in the house, they're going to find out one day that you don't get always get your own way, and they're going to wonder what's wrong with life. Uh, we need to prepare them for that. Now, my grandson—he's the greatest. He's the best. And isn't being a grandparent great? I mean, I've heard people say that it's really great, and, I, you know, I sort of nodded my head and agreed. Yeah, sure. It's great. It really is great. But, and we often hear, but we don't experience. Well, wait a minute. I, I, I want to show you this picture. Have you ever seen this? Children are often spoiled because no one will spank grandma. <laughs> See, even as grandparents, we need to make sure that we have appropriate boundaries and limits. We can't just let him get away with whatever. It doesn't help mom and dad much. And it really doesn't help the child. Um, I mean, we often hear that my grandson is perfect. I mean, I thought that for a while until the last time we were in Minnesota. <laughs> when you stay with them long enough, and if you do sort of hold up some boundaries, you find out that, that this kid is just a little sinnerling like the rest of us. Not perfect. Having a bent to certain behaviors and certain personality characteristics. And the really crazy thing is sometimes what we, what we, what we think is not good when a, when a kid is younger becomes sort of held high in adulthood. Right, you know, they write on the walls and stuff or whatever, you can't stop them from doing that. And then when we, they become adults, they're like one of the most creative people on earth and they get this really great job and, and that personality trait or characteristic just sort of, it, it, it is who they are. It, it, it is what they do. So we, we just have to be cautioned about it. appropriate limits. Number four, counsel. Our kids need counsel. Kids In the room. You need counsel from your parents. Deuteronomy 6 5 through 8. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's the gift of your relationship with Jesus Christ to your children. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. When you see stuff happening on TV or in the culture or on a billboard, don't just not say something, have a conversation with your kid about it. And it will develop an ongoing our um, relationship with them. Our kids have all kinds of questions. What am I good at? What should I do with my life? Where will I go when I die? Kids crave answers to questions, and we can have them. We can have biblical, <coughs> excuse me, biblical answers. Don't just shrug your shoulders and say, I don't know. Go ask your mother. I mean, we need to counsel them and help them search scripture and train them. One of my kids, and I'm not going to say which one to protect the innocent, even though none of them are here and probably won't listen to this sermon, but one of my kids asked me one day, hey, Dad, what's Viagra? Now, as a parent, you hear that question, and how do you answer it? Oh, uh, um, no. You tell them what it is and what it's for and you have a conversation about sex with them right there because you have this wonderful opportunity to invest in the life of your children and to counsel them don't be afraid of it grab it and, and, and run with it there's all sorts of other things that, that you can teach in that moment and, and I did don't freak out Spinning kids out into this world without teaching them the foundations of being a Christ follower is a bad idea. But we also need to remember that as we do, as we teach those things and as we train, it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. We need to teach them how they they were created and that God loves them deeply and he has plans for them. And I mean, my kids can always call or text a, a question about the Bible. We had a couple conversations this week when they were home and we got the Bible out and we're looking through it and one of them was on polygamy in the Old Testament. Zach was just wrestling with that. Dad, why why is that okay there and it's not okay here and and we talked about that and we researched that and I it's I mean I'm not exactly sure I have the answer to that question. But but we researched it as as friends. Really? You know, God continues to transform my children and they continue to learn that God is patient and walking with them through the struggles in their life. Have they made some pretty yucky, poor decisions? Yes, they have. Does that, should I feel guilty about that? That in some way I screwed up and didn't teach them something? No. No. I need to give that to the Lord. I, I wonder how are you doing in this area? This area of counsel. Don't leave their spirituality to the world. Don't leave their spirituality to the Sunday school program here at North Hills, to Kids Zone, or to the youth pastor. Talk about being a Christ follower every day with them. Um, and when they learn at a young age, they will usually live for Jesus and pass it on to their kids. Encourage them to read the Bible. Encourage them. I say encourage them to go to youth group. Our kids didn't have a choice. They just went. They complained a few times, but then they quit because they knew it wasn't going to make any difference. And they went. And today, I didn't give my son or my daughters the, the message that you should always go to church and don't skip, and they do. They go to church. They're a part of a, um, a ministry on campus. They go to their large group meeting once a week, and they're a part of a Bible study. Do we want them to? yes. Get them in, get them train them in that early on. Um, number five is this competence. We need to help our kids learn uh, what their natural abilities are. We need to draw those things out and, and we need to, to encourage them and shore them up in those things. Now I'm not saying that if your kid is five foot three and he, he has this dream to be an NBA basketball player that we really throw everything into that. you know don't You've all seen, right? People that that go on like the American Idol, and they can't sing at all, and all of the people standing around them are saying to them, "Oh, you're so good! You're so good! I can't believe that they didn't like it." We got to be honest too. You know, not false confidence, but confidence in what they're good at. I spent I spent some time one day with the deputy sheriff here a week ago, and as we drove around the county, he would mention things like, "Well." that person and that person are kind of struggling in their life. And, I mean, that's the nice way of saying it. You know, they're just in trouble. Um, And he mentioned the boys of one family. Um, They're not in our community anymore, but he said, you know, those boys didn't stand a chance. He said their parents taught them that it was okay to steal. That was exemplified for them in the home. Their parents used drugs. There was drug and alcohol use and abuse in the home. That's where those kids grew up. There are... um, They weren't taught these things. They weren't loved. Um, I mean, sometimes we'll see kids that have angry outbreaks and it, it is because they're being neglected. There are parents that are not loving their kids. But when parents are leading their family in a godly way faithfully serving the Lord and training them, and they rebel, those kids rebel, you know what let's do? Let's cut those parents some slack. I mean, I'm sure there's something that every parent wishes they'd done something differently. You know, it's just a part of the journey of life and being human. It just is. But let's cut them some slack. Don't do a drive-by guilting. (laughs) And when things go well, we need a lot more gratitude than pride as a parent. Now I want to close with this passage. Worship team, you can come on up here. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me. Excuse me. (coughs) That they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. And then this one, Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse seventeen. But let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Let's boast in the Lord. Now here's the best parental advice I know. Okay? If you are a parent, give it your best and then take a nap. And if you've already given your best, your kids are gone, they're off on their own, take a really long nap. Lord Jesus, thank you. Father, I pray that that your words to us this morning have brought some comfort. Father, I know that, that there are many kids who are wayward. They're prodigals. Lord, I pray that you would put people in their path to point them to you, that you would draw them to you, that they would experience the joy and forgiveness of knowing you as their Savior. Father, I pray for that for the parents that are in this room as well, for parents of all children, young and old, a handful and compliant. And Lord, I pray that even in the midst of the end of a long day and all of the work and effort and cleaning the same room up eight times. and Father, I pray that you would still help them to be able to look at their children as a gift of you. They would love them and counsel them and give them the gift of their personal walk with you. Thank you for being such a great God. And Lord, as we take up this offering to continue our work in Goshen County and in the United States and are really across the world, as we lift up our voices to you in this last song, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us, please? It's mm-hmm.